We are dealing with this series, We Are the Gods. And before I start with that, I just want to say, um, um, I honor you for being here today. You could have been somewhere else. You've decided you wanted to hear what God has got to say. And um, you wanted to come and praise and remember His Son. And I honor you for that. Everything, that any, every investment that you make into your spiritual life, God will honor. And you'll produce a harvest in your life. So I honor you for that. Well done for being here. All right, getting back to the, the series of lessons I'm busy with. It's about the idea that we as a human race is trying to play God. We are making ourselves little gods. And you can see this by what we're trying to do. The first lesson was about justice. That we are trying to uh, do what is just and right in our own eyes. But in actual fact, we're actually incapable. Because we are not God. The only person that can make a 100% accurate judgment is the God of the universe. Secondly, uh, the other lesson was about immortality. We're trying to take the place of God, trying to produce eternal life. We want people to live forever, but we get stuck somewhere along the line. And we spoke about some of the, the freezing that's going on with, you know, with freezing bodies. And hopefully one day we can revive those bodies uh, again and people can live again. That's what we spoke about last week. Today I want us to talk about life. Life. The creation of life. Where does that come from? And I want to just start briefly by talking about the beginning of the universe. How did it all begin? In the 1920s, the scientists or cosmologists or, or anyists that you want to call them, the clever guys, they figured out that the, the, the universe had a beginning. And that was a big thing. That was, that was like huge. Because like in forever, these guys had not believed that's the case. They thought the universe had just always existed. And so that's when the theory of the Big Bang came to the surface. If you've ever heard of the Big Bang, they, they looked at, they could observe the planets and they were moving away from each other. They were all moving in a direction. And that means there was an explosion, right? So at some point in the past, there was a Big Bang, and the planets came into being. And they are all moving away from each other. And that was huge. The whole secular world was like blown away at this discovery. And the Christians were like, duh. We've been knowing for thousands of years it has a beginning. The very first verse in the Bible says, what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this posed like a, and this, this really put the atheists on an uncomfortable space. The atheists who are naturalists, they just believe in what you can physically see. And they, don't, they didn't know how to handle this. Well, well how, how, did it, how did it start? How did it start? How did this big bang start? Because I, I don't know about you, but usually if, you, if, if it's fireworks time, how do you get the firework to actually go? You need a spark, don't you? You need something to start this thing. And that's where the big struggle came. Because now the Christian had, a, had, had something to point at. To say that there had to be something outside of space, time, and matter to make this happen. And there's only one thing that can do that. A God. A divine being. So to, to sort of explain to you, I've got, an, I've got an image for you here. This is the image that they create. That's what they say the universe looks like. It has a beginning point over there. 
where they've got fancy words, quantum fluctuations. And it's so interesting for me how these scientists are so sure this is what happened. And I ask them, were you there when it happened? Did you stand there and watch this happen? How, how do you know that's what happened? And they would say, no, but we make our decisions not based on faith. Of course it's faith. You believe that's what happened, but you don't have proof. You weren't there. We say God did it, right? So it's almost like a balloon. So It's like, this is what they say is happening. The universe is blowing up like a balloon, and it's expanding. But you see, it's got a, it's got a starting point, right, which is my mouth which blows into it. And it's almost like the balloon was spoken into existence. This whole universe was spoken into existence by God. I thought I'll just use this as an illustration and park it over here and pop it when somebody falls asleep during this lesson. Right. So space, time, and matter came into existence at the same time. Okay? I'm not going to go too deep into this, but there can only be one way that this could have happened. God. God spoke this into existence. Science doesn't want to put in the possibility of God, but it keeps cropping up over and over again. Science says, we're so clever, we figure everything out. And then they just find out through telescopes and through all kinds of methodologies, they just come to a conclusion that's been in the Bible all along. Over and over again, this happened. So if they, if they grapple with this and they don't find an answer, then they, they move on to something else. And they, they, they grapple with the beginning of life on earth. Like how did life on earth then happen? I mean, so a big bang and suddenly there's, there's these balls floating around in space. And then one of these balls suddenly is like turns blue and is, is perfectly shaped to um, have life on it. And we call that the fine-tuning argument. Do you... Do you, do you or the fine-tuning of the universe. Do you guys remember, I don't know if it was here in America, when we used to have radios. Like, in, uh, do you, does anybody still listen to, like, just radio, uh, what you, radio programs and, and stuff, where you have the, the little button, you've got to get the right frequency. Right? You, you guys remember that? So the fine-tuning argument is like that. It's like God has, 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 has lined up the earth so perfectly in space in relation to the sun and gravitationally that life can actually happen on this planet. The scientists don't know how to make sense of this, but we believe God has placed the earth there as it is, perfectly so that we can have life. And so the scientists, they, they don't want to accept. They don't want to accept the possibility that God created. So they find all kinds of other ways how life began on earth. And here's the key theories. The primordial soup. So this is what they say. And they experimented on this, right? So they take, a, they take a glass bowl that's closed, and then they, they put in ammonia, methane, and a vapor inside. Okay? And then they, they send electrical shocks through it to simulate lightning. Trying, they believe that was the condition of earth. You had methane, ammonia, and you had a vapor, and then lightning strikes came. And when they looked at this, they actually managed to create amino acids through this process, which apparently is the building blocks of life or the building blocks of proteins. And then they said, okay, that's how life on earth started. There was ammonia, methane, and a vapor, and boom, lightning strikes came, and boom, and then there were amino acids, and then the amino acids turned into fish, and then that turned eventually into humans, right? That, that's the, sort of the, the start of the theory of evolution, only to discover that... 
Now, today they say, oh, the conditions were not, were not like that. It's interesting how it continually changes. The problem is this. It doesn't tell us where methane came from. Where did it come from? It doesn't tell us where this vapor came from. And it doesn't tell us where the lightning strikes came from. How did that just suddenly appear? And I was thinking as I was grappling with this, I was thinking about Job chapter 37. I'm just going to read to us, and you can just sit and listen to this. Job chapter 37, verse 3. He unleashes his lightning beneath the whole heaven and sends it to the ends of the earth. Who brings the lightning? It's the God of heaven. After that comes the sound of his roar. He thunders with his majestic voice. When his voice resounds, he holds nothing back. God's voice thunders in marvelous ways. He does great things beyond our understanding. He says to the snow, fall on the earth. And to the rain shower, be a mighty downpour. So that everyone he has made may know his work. He stops all people from their labor. The animals take over. They remain in their dens. The tempest comes out from its chamber. The cold from the driving winds. The breath of God produces ice. And the broad waters become frozen. He loads the clouds with moisture. He scatters his lightning through them. At his direction they swirl around over the face of the whole earth to do whatever he commands. He brings the clouds to punish people or to water this earth and to show his love. I can go on. The whole last of the chapters of Job is about this. At the end of the day, as much as we're trying to figure out what's going on, God is the one that makes it happen. And we're trying to play catch up to figure out how he did it. But that's not the only theory about how life started. They say, well, it, it could be then the seeding by comets and meteors. So, they say the ingredients necessary to create life on earth fell here from comets and meteors. In 1969, a meteorite fell in Australia, and it had a dozen of different amino acids on it. The building blocks of protein, building blocks of life. And one of the key, key proponents of this made this quote, which I actually found funny. He said, it's a lot easier to build a house out of Legos when they're falling from the sky. That's a ridiculous statement. Who made the Legos? Right? And do they just magically fall in place? Like they just magically fall into a house. Where do they come from and how do they end up like that? So where do the meteorites come from if you're saying that's so? And how did the amino acids end up there? And how did they form? Just magically? Or is there a creator? Ladies and gentlemen, science can teach us a lot about life. It can. Really, it can. But it cannot tell us where life came from. It can look at life and see what it does. But it cannot tell us where it came from. How it came to be. In our schools, they teach children these theories. The primordial soup. The seeding by comets and meteors. But they never point to the life giver. The one who created it all. And what happens when you don't know who your parents are? You become orphaned. You become an orphan. And the human race is slowly but surely becoming an orphaned species. Demonic secular society is to try, trying to tell us 
Nobody made us. We don't have a father. Nobody put us here. And that we have no purpose. But we believe there's a life giver. And everything comes from him. That's why we're here this morning. And he spoke the world into existence. The doctors, the biologists. They are still trying to figure out. How life began. In other words, you. Let's forget about the universe. Let's forget about life on the planet. Let's think about conception. I'm going to make a bold statement. You and me, we are living because God wants us to be. God wants you to be alive. He's planned this way before you were an embryo. He planned to have you alive. He shaped the molecules, the, the, the amino acids into place to become you. It's a miraculous thing that you live, that you exist. And we make a big deal about our kids' birthdays. Because every year that goes by is another year that God has allowed my child to live. I can't keep my child alive. I thought so. When we had kids, I thought, I'm going to protect these children. Until the first time, he had a sweet stuck in his throat. And I thought, I'm going to die before he does. I don't know how to handle it. Because he, he can die while eating a grape. If he doesn't bite it and swallows it, gets stuck in his esophagus. It's so easy for a child not to make it through life. We're not even talking about the process of conception. I've got some really cool doctor friends. And every time I ask them, what's the mir most miraculous thing for you about biology? The most miraculous thing about what you've seen in, in the practice of medicine, in your studies. What's the most miraculous thing? And every time they say, the process of conception is incredible. How a human being can develop in the womb from cells and then come out of a body. Yo. Ladies and gentlemen, a woman is an incredible being. Aren't they? If you're a lady, you can tap yourself on the shoulder now and say, I'm cool. You're incredible. Now, listen to this. The conditions for conception has to be perfect. You have a woman. Hopefully you know what that is when the world is struggling to understand what that is. But you have a woman. She must release a healthy, mature ovum which must be picked up by a healthy, functional fallopian tube. Then you have the man. So the woman has to be healthy inside. The man must produce healthy seed and deposit the seed near the cervical opening. And they say that only 10% of the seed actually makes it through that membrane to start the swimming process. I heard the other day somebody explained the seed has to swim like a marathon. It's like a human being swimming a marathon in honey. Can you imagine that? that? That little tadpole, he swims his guts out. By the time he reaches his destination, he's half dead. Then he has to still climb inside of that egg. That is an incredible journey. And it's lonely because he's lost most of his buddies along the way. They're like, oh, I'm giving up. Oh. He keeps going. I'm going to get there. What tells that thing to keep going? What tells that little tadpole to continue swimming? Absolutely incredible. 
Then there's the couple. So the woman has to be healthy. The man has to be healthy. He's got to have some good swimmers, man. And then there's the couple. The couple, they must have intercourse every other day around the time of ovulation because the seed only lives for 48 hours. So they, that guy, that guy's like swimming and he knows 48 hours, then I'm dead. I'm going to get there before I die. And if he makes it, yes, he's fulfilled his life purpose. And he's going to transform into something incredible. And then there's the fertilization. So yeah, this guy, he's just swam a mar marathon in honey, right? He's tired. His pectoral muscles wants to break off. And then, he's got a, and then he sees this mountain of an egg. Now he has to make his final wrestle and penetrate that egg. The fertilization process. He must be a great swimmer, but he's got to be a big time digger. Because now he has to get in there. So these tiny microscopic cells must make it through the cervix and through the uterus into the fallopian tube. And then one healthy seed must breach the egg's protective layers. Including the cumulus layer and the zona pellucida means absolutely nothing to me. But you get the point. Now this dude has swam a thousand miles through honey. He's broken the barrier of that egg and he's inside. Now it's like, oh, sit on the couch and relax. Now there's another problem. There's an issue of DNA. Because that, that seed carries a sequencing, a formula of DNA. And that egg has got some DNA processing inside. It's, two, it's from the, the man and the woman. They've got two different sets of DNA. And now these two have to connect. The chromosomes have to be perfect. Otherwise, it's also not going to work. I'll read what they say here. The fertilized embryo must receive the correct number of chromosomes from both the egg and the seed, while some embryos with faulty DNA continue on with development, and that's where you get genetic orders like um, Down syndrome, for example. Most will discontinue cell division. So if, there, if that is a chromosomal error, it's just not going to take place. The potential is there to have a Down syndrome kid. Now, to be honest with you, like, look at all of you. You look great. You are the product of that process. I'm the product of that process. You actually came out of there alive. It's a miracle to make it through that. If God is not there and he didn't design this whole process, it would never happen in a thousand years. And then, there's, then you think it's over. Okay, the chromosomes are great and everything is cool. No, 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 no. That's just the first First few hours. Now that egg has to travel up the fallopian tube and go attach itself to the end, inside of the uterus. And the cells have to multiply. It has to be a healthy uterus wall. And that's only when the pregnancy process starts. And you and I know. I guarantee you many ladies here have had miscarriages. To carry to full term is a miracle. As your body... Is reproducing, incubating a human being. Cells that split over and split and split. And it grows and it develops into a being. Absolutely incredible process. And obviously you know the scripture I was thinking about was this. Look at the text. 
for you created my inmost being. Talking to God. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. That's all the process of God. The biologists, they're struggling to understand this. We'll talk more about that. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. That blows my mind. God sees the cell's division. He sees it when it attaches to the wall of the uterus. He sees it all. And he's there. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God makes human beings. He created your life. And you would say, yo, but what about in vitro? And all these wonderful things about getting people pregnant. Go talk to those people. All they can do is try and take a seed and put it in uh, an egg or close to an egg. They can only take what is already there and try to assist in the process of getting them together. Like say to the guy, hey dude, you don't have to swim a thousand miles. We'll just, we'll just drop you off there with the helicopter and then you can do the rest. They still have to do the rest. They can take what already exists and participate in the process, but they cannot make it. They also cannot force the two to connect. It must happen by itself. Therefore, you are a miracle. Please say to the person next to you, you are a miracle. And look back at them and say, even though it doesn't look like it. This is Dolly. Dear Dolly. Do you remember Dolly? 1997. She hit the world stage. First mammal. To be cloned. They take DNA. From another sheep. Through some complicated process. They planted it. In an egg. Also of a sheep. And she's exactly. She carries exactly the same DNA. As the previous sheep. That the DNA was taken from. And this took the world by storm. Because what does this mean? And can we do this with humans? People were going crazy. If we can make copies of animals. Then we can make copies of humans. Imagine you could clone your dead child. Your child dies. But you, you keep a bit of the, of the DNA. And you, you plant it into an egg. And you have... The exact same DNA in, in your child. Imagine you could do that. Or imagine you could clone a dead parent. That must be weird. Like your dad dies, you take his DNA, you plant it, and now he's born as a baby. Okay, I'll, I'll now be your dad. I'll teach you a thing or two. Or what about having two mother-in-laws? It's weird, right? It's weird. You see what we're trying to do? We're trying to create life. Somehow, nobody has cloned any humans. And I've read up a little bit on this. It's very hard to do, and I think God made it that way. It's very hard to do. The cells are different. The chromosomal issue inside the cell, inside the egg, is very complicated. It's, it's much harder to make it happen in humans than any other species on the earth. 
Maybe God made it that way. The chances for failure is so big that they fear that humans will develop deformities and they will die quickly with painful deaths. That's why they don't want to tempt it. Maybe God has got a message there for us. There is currently, this is interesting, there's currently a company that is working on cloning a woolly mammoth. And they want to reintroduce them into the northern hemisphere and some places in Siberia. They believe that by 2027 they're going to have a woolly mammoth because they got some of the DNA and they're going to, they're going to let a, a, an elephant carry the, the mammoth. And so this is one of the things they're trying to do to reintroduce extinct species. Very interesting. Cloning allows extinct species to come back to life, therefore. But what is cloning? Cloning is taking the DNA of something or someone and placing it in an egg cell. It is once again not creating life. It is taking a life that already exists. They can't do it without DNA. DNA is the most complex formula that cannot exist unless it was created by a powerful mind. It's only powerful minds that can write formulas like DNA. The most complex language on the planet. Now what's the point? The point is this, we cannot create life, we cannot create DNA, we cannot explain the origin of the universe, and I'm talking in terms of not as a faith, as a scientific community, we cannot explain that, we cannot create anything from nothing. Scientists are frustrated, the more they study, the more they have questions, and the more they have to face the words of the Bible. We know where life came from, we Christians, disciples of Christ, we know who designed DNA. We, have, we know who started the Big Bang, if there even was a Big Bang. And Peter is preaching. He's just healed somebody. And this guy runs into the temple courts, Solomon's colonnade, and he's jumping up and down. He was lame his whole life. Peter healed him. And the crowds around surround Peter, and Peter starts preaching to these people. And at one point, he says to him this, to them this, you disown the holy and righteous one and ask that a murderer be released to you. What was his name? Barabbas, right? You, listen to what he says, you killed who? The author of life. But God raised them from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. Later on, Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 17, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him... All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Powerful, powerful text. few things that stand out for me. Number one, Jesus authored life. He wrote it. He wrote down the DNA formula. Of your body and my body. He formulated your DNA. He sat down and decided what color eyes you will have. It's all in your DNA. Humans put the author of life to death. Instead of killing Barabbas, the murderer. Instead of putting him to death. They put Jesus, the life giver, to death. And that is what science and secular society is still trying to do today. Is to kill the author of life. To deny him, disregard him, refuse to accept him, and continually pursue his replacement. How? By becoming little gods 
that think that we can create life. And then lastly, Jesus keeps life together. Not only did he start life, but he also maintains it. One slight of movement of the earth and the fine tuning of the planet ends and we die like this. One small defect in your DNA and you die of cancer. The life that keeps your heart pumping is in his hands. The oxygen that you breathe right now is regulated by the store heavens of heaven. Store houses of heaven. Like think about it. Do you think, do you think you're keeping yourself alive right now? Are you plugged in to the plug there in the wall? As long as you're plugged in, you, your heart is pumping. You're breathing. You can breathe without thinking about it. Because you've been designed by God that way. That, you're, that we're living beings. Our hearts are pumping. God is, and God can just switch it off like this. Done. So what? We have to honor the life giver and place him at the right space in our lives. But there's more to think about. Because I think you get the point. So what? I want to make two points. Firstly, if life is in you, it will show. If life is in you, it will show. The beauty of Oregon, my mom really enjoys Oregon. She's been having an incredible time. You have blessed her. And I want to thank you. And she's blessed us as well for being here. And one of the things she points out is just that the greenery. It's absolutely beautiful, isn't it? When you look at these hills and you drive past the rivers, you want, you're going to look at some African rivers. Go look at some of those rivers. You can never see the, the bottom of a river, ever. You never see a fish swimming in the river. You just see mud. Because up the stream, a thousand people have washed their washing in the river. And they've done their number ones and twos in it as well. You don't want to touch the water. You get here, the waters are clean, the rivers are flowing, it's life. You can see the fish. You go to the lake, it's teeming with fish. When you look at this place, you know what you see? You see life. When you look at the Dead Sea, what do you see? It's dead. The salt content is so high, you can't, you can't survive in it. You can go float in it, that's it. Do you know what's happening to the Dead Sea right now at the moment? Who knows what's happening to the Dead Sea? It's becoming deader. It was, it's, it's been dead forever, but now it's getting deader. You know what kept it sort of not so dead? It was a river. A river that flows into it. Who knows what the name of that river is? The Jordan River. The Jordan River is the only source of life that goes into the Dead Sea. And the Jordan River is busy drying up. Here's some images. You can go Google this. Go read up on this. That's the Dead Sea. Can you see the layers? It's getting lower. It's getting lower. It's getting lower. Why? Because its only source of life is busy drying up. The Jordan River. There it is. The Dead Sea is at the bottom. The river flows. The Jordan River flows from the Sea of Galilee. But because it's drying up, the Dead Sea is drying up. It has no more source of life. Ladies and gentlemen, you can see when a person is alive or dead. You can see it by who they are plugged into. 
You can see it by the source of life. Don't you think people who show no life has lost connection with the source of life? John Maxwell always talks about his dad and how great person he is. And he, and he always says the following about his dad. He's 92 years old and he's trying to plant satellite churches in old age homes. Like he's very old, but he doesn't stop. And he talks about his dad saying he's going to live till he dies. And he's not confused about the two. And then he says, some people are already dead. They just haven't made it official yet. And as I was studying this, I was thinking about this powerful text. And this is the New Living Translation, John chapter 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The reason why I put the New Living Translation in here is because as I studied and tried to come to grips of understanding this text, the best interpretation of it is this translation based on the original, right? He existed in the beginning with God. Who's, who's the Word? The Word is Jesus, right? God created everything through Him, through Jesus, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created. So Jesus gave life to everything, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Let's unpack this. The word is Jesus. In the beginning, he was the life giver. He breathed life into the nostrils of Adam. He was the creator of DNA, the fine tuner of the universe. And when he came to earth again to die for the sins of the world, he came to be a light giver to those to whom he had given life. So what does it mean to give light? When you go study this, most scholars would agree to give light means that you bring knowledge and clarity and understanding. Jesus came to show the way to people who are stuck in darkness. He came to say, hey, this is how you get to God. I'm going to be light for you and I'm going to light the path for you so you can get to God. So Jesus came to give understanding. But not everybody accepted the light, especially those who wanted to stay in darkness. Now, here's a question. What do people look like who stay in darkness? Have you ever seen a person walk in the dark? Imagine you could have like this you know, night vision goggles. It's funny when people walk in the dark and they bump their legs into stuff and their heads into the door. and it's, it's, They look like crippled, dumb people. There's, a, there's, there's this video, you need to go, go Google, this is funny. You need to go on YouTube or Facebook or whatever. They have this game where they take a fan like that and they tie a rope to one of the, the blades and they hang a, a bottle with water. Have you guys seen it? Like on the, on the fan, like a bottle of water and it swings and then they, they put um, blindfolds on the people like, like a girl would get her dad to come and do it with her and it swings through the air and you don't know when it's going to hit you in the head. And it's so funny when they get hit in the head because it, they can't see. They're blind and hits them in the head the whole time and hits them in the head the whole time. Absolutely incredible. You need to go look at that. Those who took off the blindfold got hit in the head. Didn't get hit in the head. Those who took it off. Why? Because you can see it coming. You dodge it, right? So when you can see, you look differently than when you are blindfolded. You're blindfolded walking in darkness. You look like a retard. You take the blindfold off, you can actually, whew, this guy's operating. Whew, he's missing it. They can't get him. 
People who refuse the light, reject the life, and end up being hit in the head over and over again. You can see it in their lives. Satan has a field day with them. They make the same sinful mistakes over and over again. The lady who jumps in, in, into bed with one man to another. Continually trying to find her satisfaction and a happiness in a man. She rejects her family, her children for this man. And when that man dumps her, she sits next to the road and she's crying. Why do these men leave me? She gets hit in the head the whole time. And then she wants to understand why does her head hurt? Well, because you're not walking in the light, you're not coming to Christ to understand who you are. You're not coming to understand that the real reason why you're chasing all of these men is because you've got a low self-esteem and you think that they're going to make you feel better. You don't come to the Lord of life. I can give you many examples of people who walk around with sore heads because they're simply walking in darkness. They refuse to come to the light. So Jesus brought light and life, but some reject the light and some accept it. It's like a, a lighter. You know, we have birthday parties for the kids. You know, it's the one thing that we, every time we don't have. It's like a lighter. I don't smoke, unfortunately. We've got this elaborate cake. My mom has made a cake. It's like, it looks like a, you know, like a dinosaur or something. She makes wonderful cakes. And it's like all of this effort, hours of effort and the candles on top of it. Okay, we're ready to sing. No lighter. Okay, go put on the stove. Get some toilet paper and blow. This is so cool. I get some fire. So annoying. Why? So we, can, so we can light those candles and so that that kid can blow the candles out. And do you remember during COVID when, when that blowing took place? The whole cake was full of COVID. Remember that? Because kids don't, they go, you know, we eat that thing. Anyway. Now, like a lighter, lightning the candles on a cake, Jesus lights up people across the globe. Are you one of them? Do you shine? Do others find clarity, understanding, knowledge, and the way in your presence? Do you show people the way? When Moses saw God, what did he look like? His face was shining and he had to hide his face from the Israelites because it scared them. They didn't know what to do with that. When you make contact with Christ, your face will shine. When you come into his presence and you come out and you spend time with people, they will see you know him because your face will show it. When you make contact with Christ, you cannot help but shine. Because he sets you on fire. John Wesley said, get on fire for God and people will come watch you burn. 1 John 5, 11 to 13. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God. So that you may know that you have eternal life. You've got the Son. If you have the Son, then you have eternal life. That's a guarantee the text says. Now, people who understand that they have eternal life have made contact with the author of life. And people who know they have eternal life look differently because they live differently. I'll give you a few examples. They fret less about this life. 
You can hear in conversations. They're not like all baptized into this life. Worried about this life, the economy, the future, the politics. It's like, yeah, those things are there, but eh, so much other cool stuff going on. They talk less about the worries of this life. People who know they're going to heaven, they talk less about the worries of this life. Why? Because they know where they're going. They're looking forward to eternity. They sacrifice what most people value. For them, it's not a big deal to give up a car or, or a house. and it's, it's not such a big deal because they value different things. For example, they value souls more than money. You'll see them being more concerned about people than about stuff. What about 1 Corinthians 15.45? So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. I want us to pause here. I know some of you are tired. I've got this balloon here. Just tell me when I need to pop it. But hang in there. Jesus is not only the author of physical life. He's the author of spiritual life. It was so beautiful on, on Friday night. We had a few young people over here and asked them, do you have any questions you want to talk about? And, and, and one lady put up her hand and she said, you know what? I want to, I want to know how to have a, have a, I want to feel God more. I want to have a deeper spiritual life with him. Just the fact that you say that tells me God is going to come into you. Because very few people desire that. The way to get to that life is through Christ, being in contact with Him, being in Him, because He's a life-giving Spirit. He's a life-giving Spirit. The Holy Spirit that dwells in you, or is supposed to be dwelling in us, is a life-giving Spirit, not a life-sucking Spirit. If your life has not improved, if your inner being has not become better since you've become a Christian, you never became a Christian. You've just adopted a religion. You can adopt a religion without being in contact with Christ. That's why you still look the same as you did in your previous life. You haven't been born again. If you're a Christian that feels dead on the inside and looks dead on the outside, there can be no life-giving spirit in you. It's impossible. It's not there. What am I talking about? Let's be clear about this. How do you know the living spirit is in you? It's, it's pretty easy. I'm going to give you some homework. Um, I dare you to go home and to ask the people who live with you these questions. Galatians 5.22-23. You know this, right? The fruit of the Spirit. Jesus is a life-giving Spirit, the text says. And that Spirit now lives in us. And so if He's living in us and working through us, what should we be producing? These types of things. So you can go and you can ask the person you live with, Hey, man. Do I love people? Do you feel that's who I am? Am I joyful? This is a big one. Most people around don't smile when you look at them. There's no joy. Like when people see you, do they see joy? Or do they see, well, here comes another depression addict. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, ladies and gentlemen. What about peace? When people see you, do they see peace in you? What about forbearance that you, that, that you, you know, you hang around, you, you're patient. What about kindness? I thought a lot about this. There's a lot of unkind people in this world, isn't there? I don't care about you. This is a fruit of the Spirit. 
You cannot be a Christian and be unkind. Something wrong. No, the Spirit's not at work. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We can go on about this. Go home. Ask the people in your life that love you. Hey, am I doing these things? It'll give you an indication. And then lastly, I'm almost done. Almost done. And this is just a random ending off thought that was stimulated by something I read this week. To become something, make yourself nothing. What had God created the world out of? Nothing. That's what God can do with nothing. He can create a universe out of nothing. God can do great things with nothing. Look at this statement. One of the reformers said this. God made the world out of nothing. It is only when we become nothing that God can make something out of us. If we want God to live in us, through us, transform us, and make us life-giving beacons, we have to become nothing. To reach the point of becoming nothing, we need to realize that we are nothing without Him. Once again, last exercise, last exercise. Please tell the person next to you, sorry to tell you this, you are nothing. You are nothing. Even though you smell like something, you are nothing. Let me prove it to you. Just a few verses to close off with. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? What do you have that you did not receive? Your brain? Did you have that or did you receive that? Your body, your heart, the life that you have? And, and if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? We cannot actually claim anything. John 3.27, to this John replied, a person can receive only what is given to them from heaven. Now, obviously, these verses are in context, and I'm not going to unpack it now. I'll mention briefly as I go on. What about this verse, John um, 15 verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Him, we are nothing. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. Apart from Him, we know nothing. We are nothing if it wasn't for Him. These texts tells us that everything we have and everything that we are is a gift from God. Well, you know what? I worked hard you know, to earn my money and to buy this house and this car and you know, my pectoral muscles and my biceps, I did that in the gym. It's mine. I did that. No. Who gave you your body? Who gave you your brain? Who gave you oxygen? Who keeps your heart beating to do that work so you could earn that money, so that you can buy that house? Who gave you your intellect? Who gave you your IQ? Who put the cells together in the secret place before you even knew you existed? Who knew you before your body was formed? You're nothing. These texts tell us that every spiritual blessing and every spiritual opportunity is a gift from heaven. This church service, these words I speak, 
The spiritual food that you're eating this morning is a gift from heaven. I couldn't make it. I couldn't design it. I couldn't even get myself to breathe. It's a gift from God. These texts tells us that apart from God, we can do nothing for Him. We can teach no one about Christ. We cannot shine our light. We cannot burn for God. We cannot transfer the life of the gospel without Christ. And unless we plugged into Him. So, very simple words. Ladies and gentlemen, plug in to the author of life. He has given everybody life, but few accept the light. Plug in, switch on, and the light will shine. Let's stand and we sing the closing song for this morning.